Welcome to the Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy podcast. My name is Wanaka Oberhuber, and I am your host. My guest today is David Andre. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, and you? Very well, thank you. Okay, today we want to talk about a book that David is working on, and a little bit, and we will start, I think, by getting to know you a little bit and your path with A Course in Miracles. Yes, of course. Well, uh, where would you like to start with my earlier life as a Christian or my encounter with the Course? It might be interesting to hear how, how it developed. So we might okay. start with your life as a Christian and, yes, and then the two, how you encountered the Course. Exactly. Yeah. The two are connected for sure. Yeah, I think so. Right. So I grew up uh, in the home of a Baptist minister. My father was a Baptist minister. So I grew up in the church. I went to Bible college and got a Bible degree, as well as a degree in music. When I graduated from college, I started working in a church as a minister of music. But the job didn't really suit me. So I decided to go back to school and get some graduate degrees in music history. During that time, I was no longer a professional Christian, shall we say, and I gave myself the freedom to question all of my childhood beliefs. And that process went on through my graduate work at Temple University in Philadelphia, and then later while I was doing my doctoral work at Yale University. All that time, I was questioning everything that I thought was true, starting from the very basic, does God exist? So I was rebuilding my cosmology and belief system, first tearing it down, then putting things together with it. And we can talk about that if you want to after this. I'm just giving you a short, very brief summary. Um, when I graduated from Yale, I was married by that time with two young children and one on the way. And I started applying for academic positions around the country in the United States, but nothing was opening up very quickly. So I had a, a longtime friend who moved to Kiev, Ukraine, and started a mission work there, which was a combination of humanitarian aid. And also it had a, a giant choir and orchestra with members of the local community of musicians who are really very fine musicians. And he was using that choir and that orchestra to tour the United States and raise money for his humanitarian aid work. And he invited me to come check out what he was doing. And I went to Kiev for a week or two and thought that it was a very interesting prospect since nothing was really opening up in academia for me at the moment. And in the end, my wife and I moved with our three young children uh, to Kiev and started working with the mission. And that's when everything started going wrong for me personally. 
uh, I was there with a, a PhD from a prestigious university, not really knowing what I was doing with my life and feeling very disenchanted and disappointed with everything. And uh, along this time, I was uh, sort of facing a midlife crisis and I started having feelings for a woman who worked with the mission. And uh, I didn't know how to deal with those feelings and they were getting stronger and stronger. And I was also realizing that I was just no longer cut out to be a missionary or even to pretend to be a Christian anymore. So everything sort of hit the fan less than a year after we arrived. And on the very same day, I sat down with the head of the mission and with my wife and told them that I was leaving my marriage and the mission all in one fell swoop. That was it. Uh, and that's when things became very interesting. Within a week, my wife took our three children back to the United States and the head of the mission blocked all of our funds that I had raised for our work. And I was uh, left basically without any money. Uh, and uh, my wife also drained the bank account in the United States. So it seemed pretty, um, it seemed pretty bad. And the mission, the head of the mission told everyone to ostracize me and make no contact with me. Fortunately, one of the members of the mission uh, did hear about what was going on. She contacted me and she said, I have someone staying in my home who I think you really ought to meet. Her name is Carol Howell. Now I had never heard of Carol. I had never heard of the Course in Miracles. I had no idea what that was about, but Oksana, the Ukrainian gal invited me to her place and I had dinner with Oksana and her husband Andre and Carol and her partner at the time, uh, Robert was his name. And I told them what was going on and they were so kind and so loving and they told me for the next two or three hours a whole lesson about guilt and the ego and all this stuff you can imagine. And Robert knew that I was in financial difficulty. He just took out his wallet and he gave me $200 right on the spot. And that was my introduction to people who were associated with the course. After that, uh, Carol just happened to be giving a seminar about the course in Kiev at that time. She had met Oksana when the choir and orchestra toured the United States and gave concerts in the Orlando region. And she was uh, a host family for Oksana and Andre. So that's how they got connected. And here I got connected with her <clears throat> at one of the most difficult moments in my life. Now, when I went to her first seminar about the course, she mentioned that the course was a channeled work. Again, I had never heard of anything about channeling or anything about that. And I was pretty alarmed. 
And I thought, this might be some wacko crazy stuff. I'm not sure. But Carol was such a beautiful model of the lessons of the course and the teachings of the course that I thought, well, she seems like a valid person. So I will look into this. And after she went back to the States, she managed to have a copy of the course sent to me through the translator of the Russian version of the course. I, of course, I got my copy in English, uh, but uh, that was a very nice thing for her to do. And then after that, I visited Carol in her home a few times. And in the years after that, she visited Kiev again. And then when I moved to Brussels, she also visited me in Brussels. So we've had a very beautiful relationship. And I call Carol my spiritual mother. I don't know where I would be without her today. So that's the, the short version of the story. Yeah, that's very, very profound. <laughs> because of the the depth of what you went through. I mean, you didn't speak about it as as this in this case, but you you just mentioned the the things that happened without the emotion yes. <laughs> involved. Yes. Um, so maybe we want to go into the the transformative uh, um, experiences that you were going through in the process. Yes. Uh, well, at the very same time, I was offered a job at a university in Kiev, which was founded by missionaries, and it was called the International Christian University. The parent university, by the way, was in Vienna, where you are. Uh, it no longer exists, but uh, I was offered a job at that time to teach music appreciation, classical music appreciation, which is my um, forte, you know. But coincidentally, the missionary who was teaching the Bible courses, there were three Bible courses required by all the students. That missionary had to go back to the States for a family emergency. So they had no one to teach the Bible courses. And they knew that I had a Bible degree so they asked me to do it. This presented quite um, a dilemma for me because I had no idea how I would teach the Bible. I really was not interested in the Bible anymore. But it was a beautiful blessing in disguise because I was reading the course and just getting into the course and uh, finding a way to teach the Bible that I would be comfortable with. And as you know, in the early sections of the course, there are passages that talk about how the disciples misinterpreted what Jesus said and how there are a lot of fearful ego projections in the Bible. And this gave me my approach to show how the Bible and the biblical authors perceive God through fearful projections of their egos. And that formed the very basis of all my Bible courses. And so as I was teaching the Bible, getting to know it again, and studying the course, it transformed my entire perspective about Christianity, spirituality, 
and put me on the path that I'm still on today. Yeah, because you're writing a book about exactly. it. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, the book is the result of all my teachings of the Bible and my new understanding through the course. It's basically about Calvinism. And uh, I take the five points of Calvinism and deconstruct them and show how they are essentially based on fearful ego projections. Mm -hmm. Would you like to state the five <laughs> yes. points and, and, and deconstruct them for us okay. so that we understand what you Sure. Uh, well, the basic acronym that people use in the English-speaking world is the word TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. And those are the five points of Calvinism that have been distilled over the years. First of all, T stands for total depravity. And that basically means that humanity is born in sin, totally depraved and unable to do anything good. And this is where you have associated with it the doctrine of original sin. Uh, and I, I talk about how that's based on a faulty interpretation of the garden story and Adam and Eve. Uh, then I is irresistible grace. And um, irresistible, wait, first of all, sorry, it's you. Um, that's unconditional election. Now, unconditional election is based on the theology of the Apostle Paul, especially in the book of Romans, chapter 9, which states that there is no pre-existing condition in man through which or because of which God chooses to give his grace. He just chooses who he wants to choose. He doesn't look down through history and see who, if when they're offered grace, that they would accept it. Therefore, he would give it to them. He doesn't base it on that condition. It's just an unconditional offering of grace. Uh, and there's a lot to go into in that regard. But there again, you can see the development of the separation model that the Course has a lot to say about. Uh, God, according to Paul, separates people into the elect and the non-elect. The elect receive his grace, the non-elect receive his wrath. Uh, so the whole world is divided into two groups, insiders and outsiders. And I had uh, an epiphany about that while I was teaching one of my Bible classes. We can go back to that if you want. Um, L, the letter L is limited atonement. And this follows logically. If God only chooses some people to receive his grace, therefore Jesus and his work on the cross is limited to those people. So atonement is limited to a certain amount of people. 
And we know that the Course also has a lot to say about atonement. But that's the thing about the Course. It usually uses Christian terminology and twists them a little bit to make them about something quite different. Um, now, I, as I said, is irresistible grace. The idea here is that once God makes the offer of grace to someone, they will have no choice but to accept it. It's an irresistible offer. Uh, or as like they say in The Godfather, an offer you can't refuse, right? So those who are slated or scheduled to receive God's grace will accept it if there's just no choice in the matter. And this brings up a lot of questions about do we have free will or not free will? Uh, in Christian terms, we don't really have too much free will. Uh, most of the Calvinists or people who lean towards Calvinism say that you don't have any free will. But um, let's go to the last point, and that's P. That's perseverance of the saints. That means that once you accept God's offer of grace and apply it to your life, then you will eventually arrive at, at the final destination. There's no question about it. Uh, in modern terms, you will go to heaven when you die, for example. There, there's just no way you will not be able to make it to the end. Now, of course, the Course says that we are all on the path towards mm, atonement and that everyone will eventually reach the goal. So there are those throughout history in Christian history, uh, theology, etc., who have been universalists. And I go into some of those people and what, how they discovered that, in fact, everyone does get saved in the end. But recently, there have been some very prominent ministers in large mega churches in America who have dropped their belief in hell and said the same thing. And it's interesting that they lose most of the members of their congregations rather quickly. So Christians are very reluctant to embrace universalism and give up their ideas about hell. And I have a lot to say about that as well. But those are the basic five points of Calvinism. I was a very diehard Calvinist when I was in Bible college. And um, I was going to call my book, The Confessions of a Recovering Calvinist. That was the first title, uh, because it can be kind of like an addiction, a drug, to think that you're one of the, the elect and everyone else is not. So uh, that's what I'm writing about in the book. And then the final chapter, I'm going to present a proposal for a new paradigm, one that doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a tendency among Christians who leave Christianity to become out and out atheists and abandon all belief in any transcendental reality. But I think based on my encounter with the Course and channeled information, as well as other channeled material like the Seth material, for example. Um, I think that mm -hmm. those 
channeled sources reveal that there is a non-physical reality. And as the Course says, to be without a body is to be in your natural state. So I believe that there is a non-physical reality for many reasons, um, especially also for uh, those who have had near-death experiences who seem to leave their body when their body is dead, clinically dead, then they return, of course. But uh, my proposal is a paradigm that retains a belief in a transcendental non-physical reality, but drops the Christian concept of an angry God full of wrath and judgment and punishment who is separate from his creation. So that, that's the basic idea of the book. Wow, that, that's really basically the history of Christianity, I think, because many people people think that that Christ is the one who brought the idea that God yes. is benevolent, right, to humanity. That seems to be his major contribution in the first century. As we know, he's still very involved in sharing that message with humanity these days. But the problem is that Christianity is largely the brainchild, shall we say, of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul didn't consider the teachings of Jesus at all. He really only used the death and a tiny portion of the resurrection to make his point about the Jewish law code and the wages of sin being death and making it all about Jesus's death as a payment for the punishment of sin. Uh, whereas Jesus, if you look carefully at the gospels, you can read between the lines. Jesus more was about union with our divine source of being and sharing love unconditionally with all of God's creations. Uh, he didn't really talk about his death in that way at all as a payment for sin. Mm, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can talk about with people who say they're <laughs> Christians. <laughs> well, you know, when things. I first left the church, I was told that I could never be happy outside the church. And of course, nothing could have been further from the truth. I've never been happier. But my initial strategy was to try to convert all of my family and friends to my new way of thinking. And I was like a missionary in reverse. And of course, they were not interested at all in my midlife crisis and my new way of looking at things. And it was uh, an exercise in frustration. And I soon dropped it, you know, because the course is very clear. Our sole priority is applying the atonement to ourselves. We don't have to convert the rest of the world. And I know that if I was able to see the light in the midst of so much darkness, everyone can. So I have great hope for everyone that they can do the same. Yeah, that, that's a very important mm. message. 
Um, would you like to give some examples from your life how how these, ah, okay. this message um, applies to to yes, various of course. situations? Uh, well, the first thing I did back um, in the 1980s when I first questioned everything. And, you know, the Course does say you cannot learn anything until you recognize that you've been poorly taught and you really don't know anything. So I didn't know the Course at the time, but I did start from scratch. And uh, the first big epiphany I had regarded hell and the fact that hell just cannot exist. And it was because for an eternal torture to work, you would need an eternal body. You know, you cannot torture anything with fire unless a body can feel the fire. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I'm not taking this body anywhere after I die. So how am I going to get a new body to be tortured forever in hell? And uh, that was the real revelation to me that um, hell just can't exist. And that, uh, after that, then I started questioning a lot of other things that I had been taught when I was young. Uh, so that was the first big uh, revelation I had about that. Now, hey, sorry. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I mean, that's a very, I, I never thought about it that way because, um, and I, I never questioned the possibility of a soul being able to be tormented. So right. And, uh, you know, way. Christians will say, well, uh, the torture of hell is, is being separated from God. And then I thought, well, is there any place, even the Bible says, there is nowhere in the universe that God is not present. Uh, there's a psalm, I yeah. forget exactly which psalm it is, but David said, if, if I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I go down into Sheol, you are there. So even in the Bible, you do find the idea that God is not absent from any place in the universe. Of course, now we are viewing God in a new way, and there's this new paradigm emerging where everyone is connected to their divine source of being and there's no way to be disconnected from it. So the idea of being disconnected from your source of being in hell really makes no sense in this new paradigm. So in fact, yeah. uh, my little joke about this is that hell is really the place we send everybody we don't like. Um, it's the place, let's say, God sends everybody we don't like. And heaven is the place where we will go and have an eternity to praise him for his choice. So that's, uh, that's my little joke. Mm. Sometimes people don't quite understand it. They think I'm being serious. But um, in any case, both heaven and hell are related to the old paradigm, which is a separation paradigm. And that, that is, uh, the separation paradigm is the paradigm by which the, the world we live in operates by. It's not just in religion, but in every single aspect 
of life, especially we see today in political uh, uh, political life, the political arena, you're either an insider or an outsider. Now, the, the insiders receive God's blessing and the outsiders receive God's condemnation. And throughout history, uh, God has needed the help of the insiders to uh, condemn and destroy the outsiders. And this we find repeating throughout history, uh, starting with the, the biblical record in the Old Testament, where God tells the Jewish people to totally destroy the people who are living in the land that they are about to enter. And we find this idea repeating even very lately. Um, George Bush Jr., for example, when he invaded Afghanistan and Iraq, he literally said that he had been told by God to invade Afghanistan and Iraq. And he called it a holy crusade. So this idea is repeated throughout history and even quite recently um, we see the idea of a separation paradigm. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, so, so what you're saying is when you come from the unity um, paradigm, right? The one of union, you can get a deep insight into the Bible that wasn't available. Yes, to absolutely. You because, uh, well, especially those early chapters where uh, the voice of the course, which I believe is the is Jesus speaking, uh, talks about the fearful projections of the biblical writers. And from the very beginning, you see this, let's say, Genesis chapter 2, the story of Adam and Eve. It's a story of separation. Uh, unfortunately, it has been used by Christian theologians to say that we are born with original sin and that there was a fall. But if you look at the story carefully, it's not about a fall. Um, Adam and Eve were created mortal, as mortals. Uh, people think that they lost their immortality by being driven from the garden. And that's not true. People forget that there are two trees in the garden which were forbidden to be eaten. The first tree, the knowledge of good and evil, gave Adam and Eve um, a moral sensibility. But the second tree, the tree of life or the tree of eternal life, would give them immortality. And it was precisely to prevent them from eating from the second tree and gaining immortality that God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden. He does not want them to become eternal beings. Um, and this important fact is often overlooked by Christian theologians and Christians in general. Um, it's been used to promote the idea that we are worthless, miserable sinners in need of God's grace, when in fact we never were without God's grace. We've always been blessed by it. Okay, I don't <laughs> get the point exactly. When you're saying um, they were not um, drawn to to eat from the tree of immortal life, 
they were, from doing yeah, it. they were prevented from doing it. Why? What happens is um, when they eat from the first tree, God is walking around the garden. Okay, this is a very anthropomorphic idea, God with a body, right? But God is walking around the garden. He can't mm -hmm. find them. He's looking for them. He discovers them finally, and they have made some clothing for themselves. And he notices that they have clothing, and he says, why did you do that? And they said, well, we were naked. And he said, well, who told you you were naked, right? <laughs> so there's a bit of a funny aspect of the story. But uh, God then kills the first animals and makes uh, clothing from the skins for them. Then he goes back to the domain or the, the place where the rest of the gods are. They're, it's in plural. Uh, you know, in, in uh, Germanic history, it could be like Valhalla. He goes back there and he tells the rest of the gods, hey, we have a problem on our hands. Uh, Adam and Eve had, have eaten from the first tree and they have an understanding of the difference between good and evil. And now they might eat from the second tree and become immortal gods like us. And so he returns back to the garden and banishes them from the garden so that they cannot become immortal like gods. Is that clear? Um, well, I, I never heard yeah. that there was a plural gods in the Christianity. And um, I don't know what the problem is <laughs> right. with immortality. Uh, I still I don't know. get well, it. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about in, in regard, with regard to this. Uh, Biblical scholars have noticed, and this started back in um, with German theologians in the 19th century. They noticed that there's a different name for God used in Genesis chapter one in the famous seven day creation story. The name for God there is Elohim. And the name used for God in Genesis chapter two in the garden story with Adam and Eve is Yahweh, which in the English-speaking world, we say Jehovah. Um, now, that's a different name for God. Uh, Yahweh is in the singular, but Elohim is plural. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, the famous line where it says, now God will make man in, does he say my image? No, he says he made God in our image. So there's actually more gods up there in Valhalla <laughs> than uh, people understand. In the ancient world, the uh, Semitic tribes must have thought that it was sort of like a pantheon of gods, like the ancient world believed. Uh, so it, we find evidence of the same in the garden story with Adam and Eve, where God uh, Yahweh goes back and does speak to the other gods where he lives in the heavenly dwelling of the gods. And there, there's evidence for that plurality elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's not really so important. What What is important is the fact that German scholars and uh, theologians 
discovered that there are two different authors of these stories. And then when they looked more carefully, you can separate different parts of the Pentateuch and discover that there are two and sometimes three different stories about the same event told from a different perspective uh, and a different political agenda, primarily having to do with the different branches of the priesthood. There's a branch from Moses, the Mosaic priests, and then there's a line that came down from Aaron, the Aaronic priests. And the two authors that use Elohim, uh, they, you can parse out what they wrote and you will see that they tell a story that is making Moses look bad or Aaron look bad, depending on who the author is. Um, that was a big discovery for me when I was teaching the Bible in Kiev because it finally showed me that these texts in the Bible are not divinely inspired and inerrant words of God, but the very uh, politically biased writings of human people, primarily men. Now, the Yahwist, the, the latest theory is that the Yahwist who wrote the garden story of Adam and Eve just might be a woman. And one of the theories is that it's Bathsheba. And if you know the story of Bathsheba, uh, David seduced her into the palace and slept with her and then arranged to have her husband killed, assassinated in battle. And then he took her as his wife. Uh, she became the mother of Solomon, but it seems that she held a grudge against David for the rest of her life. And if you look at her stories, the majority of her stories, uh, she makes the female characters look the best. They are the most proactive, the most ingenious, crafty and smart characters in the story. And the male characters, including Yahweh, who is a man in the stories, uh, looks, they all look very bad and they're usually deceptive, petty. Um, they're not very honest. So that uh, you get the impression from her stories that uh, the women are the, the heroes or the heroines and the men are the anti-heroes. And that's what we find in the story of Adam and Eve. Um, God or Yahweh in the story comes off looking very petty and mean-spirited because he banishes Adam and Eve from the garden because he's afraid of them joining him in the uh, domain of the gods. So God is the one who looks the worst in the story. In fact, the serpent, everyone thinks the serpent is the devil, but it's not. It's a serpent. Every ancient culture had a story about a serpent in the garden, and it's not Satan. It's not the devil. It's a serpent who represents wisdom or eternity. The serpent tells Eve that uh, if she eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she won't die like God said. God said that she would die on that day. And the serpent says, no, you won't. So Eve trusts the serpent and she takes a big risk, takes a bite of the fruit of the tree and she doesn't die. So she, in fact, is the courageous hero of the story. And you'll notice that all the curses are put on her very heavily 
at the end of the story. So uh, the Yahwist, who might have been Bathsheba, that's just a theory, uh, is showing how God, the man, is being very misogynist in his approach to women. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that, that's, that's a, a whole perspective on the <laughs> yeah. Bible that I had no idea existed. So, so I, I cannot, right. I have no way to judge what you're saying. So I, tr I trust you did, um, you researched it all and, yeah. and are enlightening us about the Bible, but I, I have no idea how, yeah. how I would know what it really signifies. But yes, the, I do understand that God in the Old Testament is very, um, in general, um, actually yes yes he does havoc indeed. in many ways unfortunately many many evangelical christians and, take those and, stories literally and um that's the big problem because then they think god is a cruel um angry judge and will destroy you if he gets the chance and that's unfortunate because it leads to uh, a fear of our divine source of being. That's a big problem for everyone. And that's something the Course is trying to remove uh, from our awareness and restore the awareness of the love from our divine source uh, through the, uh, the way it works with changing our minds through all the lessons and everything, as you know. Yeah, the, the, the Course has a very... You know, Absolutely, yeah. We are all judgment. holy and perfect. <laughs> That's the final judgment, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so no matter what you may be thinking about yourself, that's yes. the judgment. And in fact, you know, uh, that gave me a big understanding into one of the important stories told in the Gospels by Jesus, where he talks about um, he who is without the first stone or without sin, throw the first stone. How can you take the log out of your neighbor's eye before you, without removing the splinter from your own? He's talking about guilt projection. And you need to clean up your inner world before you can actually see anything clearly. And until you do that, you're projecting your guilt on the world and everyone you see. Uh, and that's a big aspect of the forgiveness process that the Course offers. Yeah. I think uh, we we could go into the thing of the last judgment a little bit because that's that's a very um, important difference, right? In the yeah. interpretation of it, because the the last judgment, I always, I, I even before the course, I was having these feelings. You know, the last judgment um, means that you're shown the truth, and that by that sure. you can return home, right, to heaven. Because you know the truth. Now, A Course in Miracles goes beyond that and tells you the truth is that you are, are yes. absolutely mm -hmm. innocent, holy, and perfect. And 
and that it actually takes into account all facts, yeah. everything about you, everything is taken into account. And who better to know everything yeah. about you than, than your Yes, I like how the Course says, uh, the case against you will be dismissed. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will dismiss the case. And uh, I had a, an epiphany about yes. that even before I found, you know, the Course found me and Carol, etc. Right when I was doing my uh, doctoral work at Yale, I sang in a men and boys choir in an Episcopal church on campus. And every Sunday we had to kneel at the altar and take the, the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Communion. And I was kneeling there one Sunday and I heard a voice as clear as a bell. It said, all is forgiven. And I had just this amazing feeling like a, a huge burden was lift from, lifted from me. I thought, Yes, all is forgiven. Everything in the past, everything in the present, and every possible thing in the future, it's all forgiven. And I just sort of floated on air in a way. And then it wasn't until I uh, discovered the Course's teachings about the final judgment that it really made sense to me why I felt such a sense of relief. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful one. I, I think you know one one of the important messages you can get from absolutely is that absolutely. you are loved no matter what, right? There there are no con strings attached, no conditions, and so on, right? So that you can actually allow the freedom of what yes, is absolutely in you to express. And um, you know, the course was very helpful. Yeah. We're talking about projections and projecting your guilt on the world. It, the Course was very helpful for me to read and interpret the Apostle Paul's projections in the Book of Romans. Uh, it was another big insight that the Course gave me. Uh, the, the way Paul projects guilt onto the world, you can uh, extrapolate back and almost ascertain with a high degree of accuracy what he was feeling guilty about. And that, that is something which I found fascinating uh, to see his guilt projections at work in his own writings. And also he, his tremendous fear of God. If you do a word search in the um, English translation of the Bible, especially the New Revised uh, version, New Revised Standard Version, uh, if you do a word search for the wrath of God, all of the references to the wrath of God in the New Testament can be found in Paul. And then there's a few in the book of Revelation from which we get the idea of the final judgment, right? So um, you can see how the biblical writers were writing through a tremendous deep fear of God. And that's not uh, respect in the traditional way. It's outright terror of God. Uh, and that is probably the most fearful concept, as the Course says, the most fearful concept that the ego has created, the final judgment. Yeah. 
the 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 course has this all this that it says about how do you put it? Okay. <laughs> I, I lost the thread of what I was going to say. Um, so, yeah, the fear of God and the fear of, of exactly. what we think is God, right, is this very, um, and the Bible ha has a lot of reference to, to says that it makes yes. where you can be absolutely in terror of God. And many Christians see that as yes. very good and very, very helpful to be in terror of God because the fear of God actually leads them to be kind and gentle and so on because otherwise they would. But actually the opposite is true, totally you see. Right? Uh, because the Christian God is a terrifying yeah. God. And the way to get this God's approval is to behave like him, right? Um, and you are justified if you treat God's enemies the same way God treats them, with disdain and hate and all the rest. So it doesn't really lead to more loving behavior. Uh, in fact, it can lead to very unloving behavior because you try to gain God's approval. Look at the characters in the Old Testament, people like Joshua, uh, who was told to totally destroy all the inhabitants of Jericho. That's because God, the terrifying, terrible God, told him to do so. And to gain his approval, you did it. And look at the case of King Saul, the very first king of Israel. God told Saul to destroy, totally destroy the Amalekites. That was every man, woman, child, and infant. And on top of that, every animal and beast totally killed them. Now that's, you know, the mass, mass, that's genocide on a massive scale. Well, in fact, Saul did that in the story. I'm talking about. We don't know if it actually happened in history, but in the story, Saul does this, but he keeps some of the animals, especially the lambs, uh, aside for himself, probably to feast on and have a big banquet. But the uh, this made God very angry in the story, and he sent Samuel to Saul, and he said, you are now rejected as God's king because, yes, you killed all the men, men, women, children and babies, but you didn't kill all the animals. Uh, so my point is that if you, if this is your kind of God, it doesn't necessarily lead you to more loving behavior. In fact, it leads to fear based motivation for what you do. <clears throat> yeah. And, and of course in miracles, there's a lot about that, right? Because it says absolutely means absolutely. and end need to be the same. So if you want kindness totally. to be... What yeah, that, out, that's yeah, the, the universal law of there. giving and receiving are one in the truth. Yes. And another one I think many people puzzle about when it comes to Christianity is right. where you can only yeah. reach the Father through me, right? Through Christ. And, and in A Course yes. in Miracles, Christ is in everyone, right? 
and Christians say say Christ is only at home in those who have accepted Jesus right. as yeah belief in Jesus God, as right? the Son of God, which right. is again the separation model there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So the specialness mm -hmm. that you were speaking of earlier on, right? The idea of yes. being specially special, being chosen being the chosen ones. Yes, has, it has. has led to a and, lot of um, conflict. You know, the God of the Bible, and again, it's like a character in a book, a character in a giant novel. That's the God of the Bible. This character never, ever shows unconditional love. He's always showing conditionality as uh, uh, the conditions to receiving his favor in the Old Testament. And for example, you had to be circumcised and mm. then um, do certain things to obey the law, etc. In the New Testament, it's no different. Uh, you'll receive God's blessing if you believe in his son, you see. So there's never any place in the Bible where right. God shows unconditional love. Yet Christians will say God is love. So I ask Christians... Um, if God is love and not just shows love or gives love, but God is love, is it possible for God to do anything that is not loving? Now, that's very interesting uh, when you put it that way. If God is the very quality of love, is it possible for God to be something or do something that is not loving? Well, the Course, of course, would say, no, it's not possible. <laughs> but Christians will say it's possible all the time. He can send you to hell, punish you, do all kinds of things to you, because he's God. It's good for you. Yeah, the punishment Man, God shows it. Good for you, you are one of his right. children that he disciplines. So you should be thankful when he's punishing you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's a very common belief yes and in, that's a good point you know all children, we've right? done is create a god in our own image and the way we treat our children the way we treat our parents or look at our parents and the way we treat each other in romantic relationships uh for example we expect our partners to worship us and worship us exclusively right um we just map that onto our understanding of god yeah. and it's really not uh, it's not based on the truth. It's just all projection. Yeah, that's a pretty um, important statement when we come to A Course in Miracles. Right. It is saying there is no inconsistency. Yes. Right? In A Course in Miracles. <laughs> plenty. That's right. Well, in the Bible, yeah. there is plenty. Yeah. And, and and the thing is, we want to be consistent as well because it says you know, absolutely. honesty is absolutely. one of the qualities of a teacher of God, right? And honesty in exactly. a course exactly. in miracles, and that's is one of my favorite parts of the course, the manual for teachers, and that very chapter that I just love that little unit there about the the uh, the qualities of the teacher of God. 
the characteristics of the teacher of God, I think it's called. So yeah, honesty is so important. Also trust, trust. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, to be able to trust you, you need consistency as well, right? You need to know that what yes. you're trusting and is always trustworthy, right? And, and, and of course, in miracles, I think even makes it clear that you don't have to have, um, you know, your trust is not based on, on belief. Yeah. Trust is based yeah. on experience, if I understand it correctly. So you will be given exactly. experiences that you know you about lesson 135. Um, uh, if I defend myself, I am attacked. Uh, it's all about trust. In fact, it's about listening and waiting for inner guidance and being told what to do each and every moment of every day. And there's a line in that lesson that says your present trust in him uh, is what will give you a future undisturbed by any shadow of fear, etc. cetera. Uh, so learning trust in the present moment is probably the most important thing, listening to inner guidance and knowing that everything is okay, despite all appearances to the contrary. Yeah, that's a, that's a funny one because, you know, yes. one gets these glimpses of everything is okay, right? That's the, the standard answer you yes. get when you, when you mm -hmm. get, um, get guidance, right? Everything is okay. And, <laughs> and, and you're like, how can everything be okay? You know, you get this feeling in you, yes. everything is okay. But, and everything around yeah. you is crazy. Right. And so that's, that's a really, big one yes know, to, to and what the course says uh, we're always faced truth. with a decision of whether to trust in our own strength or the strength of christ in us uh and that's that chapter at the end choose once again you know and that seems to be uh the major lesson about temptation to sort of like the story in the bible of peter who wants to walk on the water to jesus and jesus says sure you can come and Peter walks on the water for a few steps because he's not trusting in his own power. He's directly looking at Christ. And then when he turns his focus to the storm, he starts to sink. And I think all of us are like that uh, from time to time, if not all the time, right? Um, learning how to trust the power of, the, of Christ in us and not removing our focus from that is a huge lesson and I think it's the point of, of mastery that the course is trying to work us toward. Yeah. In one of my previous learnings, right, what was not from the course, they were saying, you know, mastery right. is not shown by how long you are there, right? <laughs> yes. But yes. how fast you can return. And I thought that was very significant. Yes. And I think it fits in the in course context too. How yeah, how quickly absolutely. Can you and your the, mind the again? more you go into it and the more you exercise this spiritual muscle, the quicker you get back into peace. And you're more sensitive when you're not in peace. So that yeah. the the more you're sensitive to not being in peace, 
the, the more it makes you feel uncomfortable not to be in peace. So you take the steps that the course suggests, you know, to choose once again, I must have decided wrongly, et cetera, and get back into peace. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's the mm. big thing, right? To actually choose peace. Now, now think of how powerful yes. the idea is that people you actually don't believe peace. that they can make it a choice. And even the course says happiness um, is a choice. Uh, people view themselves as victims of the world we see rather than creators of our experience. Yeah, and I think that that's one also one of the, a very strong thing in the course is the yes the, the explanation of of this whole thing is that that we absolutely we do have a choice and that our choices mm -hmm. matter. Our choice matters, so that means our thoughts matter. It also says yes, that every thought that you have has a consequence, not in the sense that. It harms you, but in the yeah. sense that you will, ex if it's a harmful thought, you will experience. Yes, your reaction to um, attack thoughts, for example, you expect attack in return. Is one example, and the course does say early on that yes. uh, thoughts have tremendous power, and they do um, materialize or manifest in the physical world in some way. Yeah. It also speaks about how, um, let's see, yeah, they, they manifest, but you can change your mind. So the consequences can be, and also the, the errors that we make can be removed by choice. So it's not a, a like eternal purgatory no. Where, no. where these no. things will come to haunt you again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which would be the typical idea, you know, that many people have right. if you have a bad thought. But the, the Course talks about right. how when you move into forgiveness, the Holy Spirit corrects the record and goes back and actually corrects the record so that the consequences from your original poor choice will not reverberate into the future. And I, don't, I can't really say I understand how that works. Uh, yeah. Unless, in fact, the universe that we live in is sort of like a holographic universe that they talk about, and time is simultaneous. Therefore, any change we make in the present is affecting what we think of as the past and the future simultaneously. Yeah, well, well there is the phenomenon that the state of mind you are in. Absolutely. Yeah. is the state of mind through which you see everything, the past, the present, the future, and therefore you have a completely different I, I totally agree, and uh, I've been making a lot in. of posts about this on Facebook, as you might have noticed, uh, and one of them is about what happened the day of the bombings in 2016 in Brussels. Uh, the bombs were going off everywhere, and I was just having one of the best days of my life. Uh, and there's a lot of details to go into there, but what it showed me was that because I was in a state of peace, the bombs and the destruction that they were wrecking on the city 
were not affecting my state of being. And, uh, and I was meeting my students in town because we had to walk, the metro was closed and we were giving each other hugs that we were safe and we were happy to see each other. And, and then uh, later that evening, I had a, a wonderful dinner with some musicians from London who were stranded in Brussels. Uh, and while yes, there was a lot of tragedy that day, my state of being determined uh, kind of like a bubble around me of uh, happiness. And a state of being is really, really important. Yes, we can. Yeah, and the, and the course but of course, the course also true. says that we do everything in our power to get rid of yeah. peace. <laughs> so um, we have to look at those kinds of things, why we are avoiding peace. Yeah, and I, what I think is interesting also in the course, we're told uh, that fear will not be removed from us. And because if it were removed, uh -huh. the power of our thoughts would be in jeopardy. So our thoughts need to remain yes. powerful so that we know they're powerful, right? So it would be actually mm -hmm. contradictory. Yeah, contradictory right. to who we are so so the the idea to to remove right. the cause of fear yes but not not the the fear because you wouldn't realize yes it's the section there in the course that talks about not removing fear. the consequences of our thoughts because then we would think that our thoughts don't have power when they really do yeah Exactly. So that would be lying to us if one did that, or 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 would exactly exactly accentuate the idea of separation, which, no. which actually isn't, and it is not possible. So separation isn't possible in in course jargon. So, Precisely. So that would be against the laws of God. Yeah. So yeah, affirming the power yes. of thoughts. Yes, it is. is and um, you know, I never gave much thought to thought before I studied the course, and now I'm very aware of each thought that causes me pain, each fearful thought. As the course says, the Holy Spirit will undertake with us the process of removing every scrap of fear. But I, I wonder if it's possible to entirely remove every scrap of fear. As it says later at the end of the, the manual for teachers, if you were able to do that and, you know, be in the presence of the face of God or whatever, uh, if you really did that, you probably would just disappear from this uh, physical plane. And probably probably never come back again who knows <laughs> yeah well we we have we have no idea what it means to be in heaven until, mm -hmm. until right. we accept yeah. the experience of, of being in heaven right so our ideas are all wrong right so i don't know and there's many stories of how oh, beings yeah. like yeshua yeah. would would appear to people 
physically, right? Yeah, or, I've or had a few experiences like that myself, in fact, but I don't else, right? usually speak about them. Yeah. Uh, people might think you're, oh. you're maybe crazy in the head, but um, I've had experiences like that myself. And so has my wife uh, and other people I know. And, um, and like we say, the very fact that the Course exists means that the entity we identify with Christ in the first century is still active uh, today. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. Well, the uh, yes. Christians also I say that Yeshua is way. active now, right? <laughs> so they... they, they they, they yeah. also say Jesus loves you and things like that, right? Well, they love to write that on walls and in many places. And and I I remember going to a a church service. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I think it was a an evangelical type of church, and they had they were giving everyone who came there a cassette, yeah. which yeah. said your personal past or something like that. And, and so. So yeah. they were saying the story of Christ is is everyone's story, so to speak. I, <laughs> right. I don't know. But you know, I don't know what was there are a lot of parallels. I didn't take it. Um, but I was like, how can they know my <laughs> yeah. past? They don't even. They haven't even met me. It was the first time I went there. No, no. Right? There's no way they could know that about me. Right? <laughs> so, but the you know, the Christian idea that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus is precisely what the Course talks about when Jesus says, if you knew who was walking beside you on the, the path you have chosen, fear would be impossible. You know, we do have non-physical beings uh, who are with us, helping us, guiding us. If we want to personify it as Jesus, I'm sure he wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't mind, you know, and so there is that parallel between what the course teaches about spiritual guidance and what Christians say the Holy Spirit does for them, uh, and they have a personal relationship with our brother Jesus. You know, um, we have a lot in common. It's just that once you get into the course, you realize how much fear there is in the Christian message that needs to be uh, converted to the awareness of love. Yeah, I remember, you know, um, mm -hmm. about my experience of hearing a voice, yes. right? And, and then that said, let us love one another. And, and how I was also having these experiences yes. because I was in Christian groups, um, in, involved in Christian groups. And and how I was mm -hmm. saying channeling and, right. and the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit speaking to you and things like that must be the same thing, right? And right, I know and these but, Baptists but how, said no, right? That can't be, right? Right. And it's how either, did the, either they one claim the that other, the biblical no authors the were inspired thing. by the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit? Um, why can't people today be similarly inspired? And they, yeah. you know, they say, well, the canon is close, and it. It stopped in the first century. Exactly. But uh, how could it have stopped in the first century, really? Yeah, and I don't get it because, you know, there's 
there's all these things about the Holy Ghost healing people, the Holy Ghost this and that, yes. and the personal relationship with with Jesus and so on, right? And exactly. what is that relationship yeah. if there's exactly. no one talking to you or no one responding or no one doing anything with you? If it's all if it's all like um, reading a passage in the Bible right. or getting yeah. insight into what's written in the Bible, right? And and I, I know that I was when I was reading you know passages in the Bible with others and and then I would just say what I was thinking about it. Yes, and sometimes right. they would say, "Oh wow, you're that's the Holy Spirit." Yes, right? who's who's explaining it through you, right? Exactly. Stuff like that. Yeah. But I was very leery about it at first, somehow, too. I, it, right? I had a lot of alarm bells going off when I first heard Carol talk about it. But uh, the material of the course and other channeled sources that I trust is so intelligent, so cogent. I mean, just think about how the course, vast passages in the English version are in iambic uh, meter, like Shakespeare, uh, it, it's just so hard to do that. I've tried my hand at doing a little bit of it. It's very difficult to choose the right words so that they always come in, in that cadence, you know, ba-bum, 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 uh, like the iambic. Uh, it's very intelligent material. There's a lot of allusions to the Bible, to Shakespeare, to other people, and, of course, to uh, psychological concepts of Freud and and others. So it's enough to convince me that channel sources are valid sources of information. Yeah, but before, yeah, I, got, before I got into no it, I, I wouldn't have accepted channeling at all, actually. No way. If someone had to say too. one never, day never. you would accept that, I would have said never. No, never. No. Right? I wouldn't have. Never, never, ever, right? So I had to go through yes. some very yeah. significant <laughs> events to actually start accepting. Yeah. Me, me too, um, absolutely. To even read a book that was channeled, right? <laughs> so, so I, I well, I was when I tell people about the course, that's not the first thing I tell them. You know, book, right? I say, well, it's um kind of a, you know, psychological self-help manual <laughs> or something, right? I avoid the subject. Um, and usually, though, the course finds the people who are ready to study it, so it's not a problem anyway. Yeah, but that was, that was a huge struggle, mm -hmm. you know, this shift yeah. from not accepting anything like that to accepting it, right? Because... Because, you know, before I was alluding to everything that, yes, exactly. that had anything yeah. that was non-physical as imagination, right? And this shift to accepting Absolutely. what's going on there yes. as actually having reality to it, right? So so that, and, and it was, and also this change from seeing myself as the author of all of it to yes, recognition exactly. that there, I totally there is there are other well, authors. I remember in the first chapter yeah, when a huge shift it just me. dawned on me that the and voice I, of the course might be Jesus. I had goosebumps, you know. I really, really it struck me. Um 
my hair was raising on my head. You know, I don't know about you, but it, it just struck me very strongly that in that early part of the course. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> that was that was not my experience with the course, but yeah, the my my shift to accepting. Yeah that there, there are voices that come yeah. from within, right? That are powerfully loving voices, right? Um, came came before the course, right? I may have heard of it at the time. I started, mm -hmm. maybe I heard in some of the books that I was reading back then, I heard about the course, right? Yeah, yeah. But, it, but I hadn't, I didn't study it to, until a lot later. So, so but the, the, this, acceptance that there are voices that come from with the voice that comes from a <laughs> right, voice yeah. of love right actually yeah, one is real two voices right, yeah. according to a course of miracles between love and only one is real right so so mm -hmm. to accept that there is another voice mm -hmm. the voice of love yeah. right the one that is real and that it is real right that is a huge huge shift and from from accepting that right. there are loving voices within you to accepting that there's actually only two yeah. voices, right? They may appear differently in different forms, right? They could appear in many ways, but the yeah. one voice is always the same voice, even if it has different cadences and different, may yeah. appear have to have different personalities, right? And histories. And I like so how the course the says that the ego always answers first. And, uh, so anytime anything happens, I try to pause for about five seconds at least and let the other voice come in to give another interpretation of, of what I'm seeing. Mm. I don't know if it's so <laughs> but, clear that, the, that it has to answer first, the ego. I don't know about that, but but I guess it's, it, it yeah, fits and, because in most cases that's the first. Yeah, it's we we so identify with that voice that we, we think it, it is right? us, but in fact it's not. Um, but if you take a simple example, when you're were in school, yeah, and your best exactly. friend told you that they got a very poor grade on an exam, well, my first reaction would be, "Oh, good," <laughs> like, "Oh." I did better, you know, that's the voice of the ego. And then after a second, you say, oh, I'm sorry. And then you genuinely feel sorry. Right? It's that subtle little first thing, the first reaction. It's competitive and it wants to make me look better than anyone else. Uh, that's the voice of the ego that needs to be identified and then not, not listened to, you know, go the other way, as the Course says. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a very I also like to the statements about how we one yeah. brings the world to yes. truth or the illusions to truth rather than the other way around as one is usually taught because many right. many mm -hmm. spiritual traditions yeah. are saying bring love to the world, right? <laughs> right. And in the course in yeah. it says the, the, the inner work the of the course yeah. is is so important to do in order to really find peace. 
And, and that's what the Course says. The motivation for doing the Course is nothing but finding peace, right? <laughs> it, it, says, it says the motivation for the Course is not knowledge, yeah. but peace, I, I believe, Absolutely. is a little bit more accurate what it says. Yeah, and it also says that the Course uses yes. some concepts and things yeah. that the ego developed. Right, but for just totally going back to the, the final judgment, for, for example. the opposite purpose. That's, that's a good example. Yeah. Yeah, because I recently, in a, in a, a comment to my to one of my posts that was said, you know, that that's mm -hmm. all, that's completely the wrong way around what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. and I, I had to smile a little bit. Yes, it does. A Course in Miracles does turn everything around. <laughs> so, yeah. So no wonder it's the opposite. Exactly. Of what, what, exactly. Uh, one can learn in, in many other traditions, right? Yeah. Um, uh, well, those are the basic points. points. Like uh, I'd certainly welcome another conversation if you want to get into anything else. Uh, the, the projections of Paul, for example, uh, it's sort of uh, rattled some people's cages when I present what I've presented. Uh, but um, it does help you understand uh, the nature of Paul's theology. And also, I've learned so many things about relationships and the special relationship uh, through my own attraction to guilt and punishment. But those would involve some more detail and giving some personal stories from my life. Yeah. I that you share on <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah with me and I'd like to ask you is there any way people can get in contact with you that you would like to mention here Ah, well, um, I have a, a, a personal page on Facebook, and you can find all of my posts there, and then there's messaging on Facebook. I've also created a professional page, that's David DeAndre, PhD, for my uh, counseling and coaching work, and I kind of specialize these days in people emerging from Christianity and religious trauma that they might have had because of that. And that's a separate page. So you can find me on that page as well. And uh, that's mostly where I'm doing my public activity these days. And I can be found there if they want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
that's great. So, and I would like to also comment on what we've been speaking about, how I believe this is very helpful to unravel the many different things that one thinks about Christianity and to to gain new insights into it, no matter which direction it goes into. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think one can also, through what you've been sharing, actually become more Christian. Yeah. If if you can say that. I know. I understand. I totally understand. And and you can also choose to to open your mind and say, okay, um, I can see it from in many in in a loving way. Right. And, right. And any way I go is is fully supported. Exactly. Which and that 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 I would like to encourage to understand the whole conversation that mm-hmm. way. You're fully encouraged to develop trust and follow the voice of love no matter where it takes absolutely you. no fear <laughs> just go with it that's right yes mm-hmm. okay and i would also like to ask all listeners to share about the podcast wherever they can or would like to right mm-hmm. so that more people get to know be and get to profit from what is what we're sharing here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, th- okay. and thank you for the opportunity to share these ideas. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I, and I felt really drawn to, to asking oh. because you've been sharing very beautiful things on Facebook. Thank you. And I, and I felt many people can profit. From yeah, it. it's very gratifying, you know, and the course, as you know, it tells you, Just ask what you should do every day and you will be told what miracles to share and what to do. So this is a great example of you uh, listening to your inner guidance as well. Yeah, thank (laughs) you. Okay, then I wish you all the very best and until next time. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. For me too. All right. Okay, bye bye.